You're listening to the Deeper Christian Bible Study Series in the book of Ephesians. Thank you for joining me, Nathan Johnson, on an in-depth, verse-by-verse study of this incredible book by Paul. Now, let's dive into the lesson for today. If you have your Bibles, uh, Ephesians chapter 3. We're kind of in this little mini-section looking at the first half of uh, Ephesians chapter 3. And what I'd like to do this morning is uh, just start, and I want to read this entire section, uh, just so it's fresh in our mind and just so it's uh, just kind of right before us. We're going to be looking specifically at verse 9, but again, I want to look at, uh, just read for you, uh, verses 1 down through verse 13. Uh, So here's what Paul says, Ephesians uh, chapter 3, verse 1. He says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I have written briefly already. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into this mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it is now being revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit, To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which he has given to me according to the working of his power. Verse 8, to me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given To preach to the Gentiles, get this, the unfathomable riches of Christ. And to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations, which, sorry, (laughs) therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. I'll look back at verse 9. Paul says, to bring to light... What is the plan or the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things? Uh, If you've been with us in the study in Ephesians, uh, in the last uh, session as we were looking at verse 8, we were talking about this unfathomable riches of Christ. And there's there's this idea that what Paul is saying in verse 8 is that here I am, uh, here I am the very least of all the saints, but here is Jesus who is the greatest of all. And I love this. He's speaking of himself humbly, but he's speaking of Christ highly. And he says that I've been given this grace, this enablement to proclaim this good news, that I am here and I am trumpeting a phenomenal message. What is the message that I'm proclaiming, says Paul? Well, Paul says that I am preaching to the entire world, to the Gentiles, the unfathomable riches of Christ. Isn't that an amazing thought? 
that Paul says, oh, I, I have the privilege, I, I have the delight to preach one single message. In fact, I don't want to talk about one thing outside of this one message. And what is the message that Paul is proclaiming to the world? It is the unfathomable riches of Christ. And as we looked in that, in that session, what are the unfathomable riches of Christ? Well, the riches of Christ is none other than Christ himself. And he is our riches, that he is the wealth. We're not talking prosperity. We're not talking money. Uh, we're not talking possessions. We are talking a person. And the riches that we have are all found in him. Now, Paul continues that idea in verse 9. And he says, okay, here I am. I'm proclaiming this message. Uh, I, am, I am bringing to light is the word that he uses in, in, in our verse, that he's illuminating, uh, that he is shining light in order to make something known. Uh, he, uh, it's this idea to, uh, again, enlighten, uh, to bring to, to knowledge. He says, I am bringing to light that I am I'm just shouting forth, that I am illuminating. I'm putting a spotlight on one thing, and that is the administration or the plan of the mystery. That there's this mystery. And Paul says, I am bringing to light this mystery which he says for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. Uh, the word there in verse 9 for, uh, in my translation, administration, uh, some translations say plan. Uh, it's the same word actually up in verse 2 when Paul says that I have received this stewardship or this administration of God's grace given to me for you. And again, that word has this idea of a stewardship or a dispensation or a responsibility. But here's this idea. Paul, Paul is saying, hey, I, I am not the plan. Uh, I did not originate the plan. Hey, I am merely a steward of the plan. That God has given me this grace and he's causing something to be flowing through my life. And my life is the channel through which I am bringing about this declaration. So I did not come up with a declaration. I am not the essence of the declaration. I am merely a proclamation, a mouthpiece, a phone. I am a, a vessel, a channel through which this can come through. And he says, I am bringing to light, I'm illuminating this administration or this plan, this, uh, this, this flow, this thing that God has been doing. Well, what is the thing that God's been doing? Well, he says it's a mystery. And this mystery has been hidden for ages and has been hidden in God who created all things. Uh, it's interesting that the emphasis of this whole mystery idea is all found in God and the, uh, and the, and the fact that he is the originator of this. And in fact, you can see that in this idea of who created all things. That, that he is the originator of this. That he's the one who came up with the plan. Uh, he's the one who came up with this mystery. Uh, he's the one that has this entire flow. And Paul says, I am merely the one just kind of bringing it to light. That he has given me the grace to proclaim this message. And I get the privilege of lifting up this mystery which originated in God himself. And for ages and for generations, this mystery, this plan has been hidden inside of God so what is that mystery? Now, if you've been with us in the study in chapter 1, uh, we spent a lot of time in verses 9 and 10 unpacking 
the mystery. In fact, if you haven't listened to those, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to those early studies where we were talking about this mystery. Now, what is the mystery? How is that mystery actually seen all throughout the entire Old Testament? In other words, we know that it was hidden in God. And it was like it was, there was this uh, veil upon everyone's faces and they just could not see the mystery until Jesus showed up. And the moment Jesus showed up, according to Paul in Corinthians, the veil has been done away with, and now we can see, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the entire purpose and the plan that God has from the beginning of time. That there's only been one plan. There, there's only been one mystery. There's just, there's this flow, and there's just been this movement, and there's just been this, this, uh, this, this heartbeat of God contained in what Paul is calling a mystery. Now, back in Paul's day, uh, there were two different kinds of mystery. And again, this is just a little review uh, from the chapter one stuff in case you, case, case you missed it. Uh, but, in, <clears throat> but in Paul's day, there was two different kinds of mystery. Uh, there was this idea of mystery, which is where it, is, it remains, something will remain a mystery until you are initiated into something. Uh, for example, when I was a little kid, um, I would go out and I would get the little box of uh, magic tricks. And it, they're not real magic. It's just, you know, like the illusion kind of stuff. Uh, sleight of hand, that, that kind of stuff. And it's interesting. You open up the little, you know, the box. And uh, it, it would always have these instructions. And usually always it says, okay, here are the rules. Number one, a magician never reveals his tricks. And this, there was this idea that you had to be initiated into the sleight of hand. You had to be initiated into how to perform, you know, all these little cheesy tricks, you know, <laughs> these little kid things. And the idea was, is that, hey, if you go off and you tell everyone how that sleight of hand is done, it no longer is impressive. It's just kind of like, oh, that's it? That's dumb. So, hey, if you want it to remain a mystery, if you, if you want to keep it like a, woo, that's kind of neat, then, hey, you, you've got to keep this quiet. So we are initiating you into this mystery, but you're not to share it. So there was that idea in Paul's day where things were contained or things kept a secret until you were brought in and gave the secret code. And then you had to you know, give, give the list of things and you had to say, okay, I promise I will, I will not share the mystery. And, and you were initiated into that mystery. Uh, but that's not this idea. See, the other kind of mystery in Paul's day that he's bringing up to light here in this idea of the mystery was that it, it was not a secret that you had to be initiated into. Rather, it is something that is mysterious only because it is yet to be revealed to you. That this isn't some secret thing you have to be initiated into. It's just, hey, it is revealed and it is now out in the open and it is just sitting right there in front of you. But somehow the... the the, the curtains have to be pulled back and somehow this illumination has to take place in your life so that you go, oh, I, I get it. And Paul's saying, do you realize that, yeah, yeah, there was this mystery and yes, that mystery has been hidden in God, but do you realize that it's been out in the open the entire time? And the reason it was a mystery is, is not because God was keeping it a secret. The reason it was a mystery is because we had a veil on our faces and it just it hadn't been fully revealed yet. It's interesting as you go into the Old Testament, uh, there's this beautiful idea that, that when you look at all the festivals and you look at all the sacrifices and you, and you look at all that stuff, they were all a big finger pointing to a greater reality. 
See, the focus wasn't the sacrifice itself. Yeah, it was in that time period. But the greater em- emphasis was not the sacrifice. It's what that sacrifice pointed to, which was Jesus. And so the mystery was unveiled. I mean, the mystery was, was right there in plain sight. However, you just, you, you just didn't see it until it was revealed. And all of this is being revealed in Jesus so again, this is not some super secret thing that, all right, if you promise not to share it, we'll let you know what the secret is. See, that's not this idea. This is, in fact, it's, it's, it's hidden in plain sight. It, it's been right there all along. And until you just go, oh, now I have this revelation. Now the veil has been pulled off, off of my eyes. You just won't see it. But the moment you begin to see it, the moment you gain the revelation, you start to notice that this thing is everywhere. Isn't it interesting in Scripture how often God somehow delights in the pursuit? Uh, it's like he says stuff like, seek, you will find. See, the, there's a guarantee that if you will go after, hey, if you would just diligently go after him, if you would just diligently seek, the promise is guaranteed you will find. Well, I'm not finding it. Then you're not seeking See, ask, and it will be given. Knock, the door will be opened. See, there's a promise associated with this. And it's not like you even have to go, it's not even have to seek that hard. It's like when, you know, when I was playing hide-and-go-seek with my little niece uh, when she was a little kid. And uh, she would say, Uncle Nathan, Uncle Nathan, hey, let's go play hide-and-seek. And I'll go hide, you count to ten. And so I'd say, all right. As I close my eyes, one, two, and I could hear her giggle, and she'd run off into the other room and, of course, inevitably, she'd find the worst hiding places, <laughs> you know. You know, and like the classic examples, you know, they, they, they go to the big windowsill and uh, they, they hide behind the curtains and you can see their feet and they're holding onto the curtains and they're, they're giggling and, you know, and they're shaking the curtains and, you know, it's, it's that kind of a hiding. And of course, you know, as a good uncle, I go, hey, ready or not, here I come. I know where she's at. I, I know where she's at because I can hear her giggle. I can walk around. I can, oh, there's her feet. And, and I, I can see the curtains shaking. And I, I, I know where she's at. But of course, you know, I'm going to be a good uncle on song and be like, Paisley, where are you? And are you in the kitchen? And I'm going in the kitchen. And of course, you hear this, no. <laughs> you know, and she laughs. And do you realize that God has this mystery, but it's been hidden in plain sight? You can't miss the mystery if you have a revelation. If you have the inside, if you have the veil removed, which is removed in Christ. And it's amazing, again, and we walk through this in, in chapter 1, but the moment you begin to see all of Scripture in light of Jesus, you begin to see that there is this mystery that, yes, has been hidden for ages and generations, but now has been revealed, and it is all over the place. How, and again, how is this mystery revealed? In fact, you, you see this even in our passage. Uh, look back up at verse 3. Uh, again, Paul is saying that I've, I've been given this grace. And he says in verse 3, By revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I have written briefly already. Verse 4, by referring to this, when you read, you, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed. Oh, get this. It has now been revealed by the Spirit. 
Are you getting this? That there's been this revelation, that there's been this insight, that, the, that there's this been unveiling of the mystery. Well, where does that come from? Oh, it's by the Spirit. So if you want to gain insight into the mystery, you need a revelation. You need this unveiling. You need this insight by the Spirit. And that the Spirit of God inside of you wants to awaken and give you insight into this mystery uh, when you look at this idea of mystery throughout the New Testament specifically, uh, it's interesting that Paul loves this language. He uses this language all over the place. So in terms of trying to define what this mystery is, you can tell I'm building up to something. <laughs> I keep laying pieces down. Uh, but I, I, want you, I want you to hear this because Paul is going somewhere with this idea of the mystery. So let me give you a few passages in this idea of the mystery uh, of, of what he's talking about. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, again, we, we already read it, in, but in verses 3 through 5, he's talking about this, this mystery of Christ, uh, which he says in verse 5, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men. And then he says in verse 6, to be specific, oh, here's, here's the mystery, he says, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel. So somehow the Gentiles now have access to the thing that only the Jews had access to before. And Paul says that there's, there's that idea contained in the mystery. Uh, in Ephesians 5, uh, in verses 31 through 33, he's talking in a section about husbands and wives. And he says this, he says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He said, this mystery is great. Get this. But I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you is to love his own wife even as himself, and, his, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. So it's interesting. He says, hey, I'm talking about husbands and wives, but I'm not really talking about husbands and wives. What I'm really talking about is what you see going on between a husband and a wife and that intimate marital relationship and covenant. Paul says, do you realize that there is a mystery taking place in the union of a, of a man and a woman? In covenant, there is something amazing going on that's, that goes beyond just the physical. There is something spiritual taking place. And he says, but it's a mystery. But I'm not actually not talking about husbands and wives. <laughs> That I'm actually talking about Christ and the church. That there's this unity, that there's this oneness. And, and what you see going on between a husband and his, and his bride, this woman, he says, do you realize that same thing is taking place between Jesus and his bride, known as the church? And there's this intimate thing going on in this idea of the mystery. Uh, he talks about the mystery in a, Romans chapter 16. In Romans 16, verses 25 through 27, Paul says, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according, get this, to the revelation of the mystery, which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, which is made known to all the nations, leading to the obedience of faith to the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be the glory forever. Amen. 
In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 7 and 8, Paul again says, But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood, uh, if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. In Colossians, which may have been the, the best picture or declaration of this idea of the mystery, Paul says that in Colossians 1, 25 through 27, of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship, again that's our idea, our word, uh, according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might carry out the preaching of the word of God, that is, nothing about this, Paul says, you know what the preaching of the word of God is all about? That is the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but has now been manifested, revealed to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. So Paul says, here I am. God has given me this stewardship, this, this grace to preach the word of God. Well, what am I preaching? What is it that we preach when we preach the word of God? It's a mystery. Well, what is that mystery? Well, it's a mystery that's been hidden for ages and generations, but is now being revealed. Well, then what is this preaching of the word of God that is a mystery? What is this all about? Oh, it, is, it contains the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Well, what is the mystery? Paul says it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Isn't that a great thought? That the entire mystery, now think about this, we, we've, we've walked through a bunch of, bunch of verses, and it's like it gives different perspectives or, or uh, lenses through which to see the single mystery, that there is one mystery in Scripture. And whether you want to talk it in the light of the husbands and wives, whether you want to see it in the light of the Gentiles being brought in, hey, whether you want to see it as the proclamation thing, whether you want to see it as the uh, Romans, the revelation of the mystery, when you get to the heart of the mystery, what is the mystery? Oh, it's Jesus. That, that he is the mystery itself. That, that, that he is the essence of this thing. That, that there's something going on in the life of Jesus. See, there's, this, there's, the, there's been this mystery hidden from ages and generations. And yet it is, on, it is on every page of scripture. What is it? It is the life and the redemptive work of Jesus. That God has a plan and what's his plan centered on? Jesus. Well, what's this whole book about? Jesus. What does he want to do about your life? Jesus. What is he forming and shaping you into? Jesus. And it's not that you become Jesus. Hey, we understand that, but we are to be Christ-like and that he is forming us more and more to look like him. Hey, when I come into the Old Testament, what do I see going on all throughout the Old Testament? Jesus. See, there's a revelation that is necessary to see the mystery. But what is the mystery? Jesus. And if, I'm to, if I was to bake down the mystery, it is all about the life of Christ. And it's, hey, would you get wrapped up in the life of Jesus? Hey, would you just go crazy with the life of Jesus? See, this whole mystery is about me being in Jesus and Jesus being in me. That there's that twofold reality of the kingdom of heaven. That I am in Christ, that my position is in Him. And in a dumbfounding way, His life is in me. That I am to be filled with the very Spirit of Jesus, called the Holy Spirit. And that the Holy Spirit dwells inside. Now, we're not talking about the literal Jesus, 
The literal Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. But he has sent his spirit into our lives. And inside this body, there is the spirit of life within me. The spirit of Jesus called the Holy Spirit. And so I am seated in Christ and he is just, he's in me. And that twofold reality, Paul says, is the essence, the reality of this grand mystery. So take that and come look at our verse again. Paul says, verse 8, To me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to proclaim, to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. Well, what are the riches, unspeakable, overwhelming, untrackable riches of Christ? It's him. It's Jesus. And I'm to bring to light, to illuminate, what is this plan of the mystery? Well, what was the plan of this mystery? Well, it's for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. Well, what is that mystery? It's Jesus. So Paul says, do you know what I am preaching? Do you know what I get to proclaim? Ah, here I am, the very least of all the saints. And while I'm the least of the saints, wow, God has given me such an incredible privilege that I get to proclaim Jesus and him crucified. That I get to proclaim the unfathomable riches of Christ. Well, I get to bring to light this plan which is just all over the place in Scripture, that, that I, I get to declare the wonders and the reality of Jesus himself. Paul says, do you, do you realize what a privilege this is? Why? Because this all centers upon Jesus. Is that true in your life? Can, can your life be explained in terms of one thing, Jesus? Hey, if someone was to, to get down to the very essence of your life, where they just go, wow, you must be a Christian because your life centers on one single thing, Jesus. Is that true for you? Uh, I keep bringing up these verses because they, they have just become some of my all-time favorites in all the Bible. But I, I love 2 Peter chapter 1, specifically verses 3 and 4. Uh, listen to what Peter says. This is just oh, this is so, so mind-boggling to me in terms of everything that you need. Paul, uh, Peter says, seeing that his divine power has given or granted to us everything, all things, everything that you might need pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these, get this, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. You have been given all things that you need for life and for godliness. Hey, everything you need is found in one place, Jesus and he has given you these exceedingly great and precious promises and, and, it, and he has invited you in and you get to be a partaker of his divine nature. That you, you do not have to live in all the corruption of this world through lust. That, that, that you get to partake of the very life of Jesus himself. Oh, that's so good. I love Romans 11. Uh, in the very end of Romans 11, Paul is kind of given this 
final benediction, this doxology kind of declaration. And, and listen, to what, listen to what Paul says in Romans eleven thirty three through 36. He says, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? And then listen to verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Amen. Do you realize that that is what the whole gospel is centered upon? Jesus. Do you know what your life is to be about? Jesus. Do you know what your marriage is supposed to be about? Jesus. Do you know what your family is supposed to be about? Jesus. Hey, do you know what your church is supposed to be about? Jesus. Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be sad to go to church and hear a sermon that's not on Jesus? I mean, wouldn't it be just horrible to go to church and sing a song that's not about Jesus? See, what, what if your whole life was wrapped up in Jesus? See, see, what if Jesus was the preeminent one in your life? See, see what if he is the centrality of the Christian life? What if he really is the North Star of our soul? See, what if he really was the supreme soul focus of our lives? For from him and through him and to him are all things for his glory alone. Amen and amen. God has a plan. It's a mysterious plan. And it's not that he's trying to keep it secret and, and hidden. In fact, it is out in the open. Well, what's his agenda been for all time? Well, what, what has his whole focus been since creation? See, what, what is God's one plan? See, there is no plan B. What has been his entire plan? It's been Jesus all along. It's always been Jesus. It has only ever been Jesus. It will only ever will be, that wasn't good grammar, but it will only ever be Jesus. See, Jesus is the plan itself. He is the mystery. He is that which has been hidden from ages and generations. And yet you can see him on every page of the Old Testament. See, he is the essence of the gospel. He is our salvation. In fact, that's what his name means. It means Jehovah saves. Salvation is his name. The name Jesus means salvation. See, this whole thing focuses on one single person. It's Jesus. Can I ask you, is that true in your life as well? Is this mystery true in your personal life? Not, not do you esteem Jesus, not do you know about Jesus, has Jesus become the plan for your life? Has Jesus become the focus of your life? Has Jesus become the delight of your life? Is Jesus the main thrust of your life? Is Jesus just the turn on in your life? Is he just the, wow, he just, I'm overwhelmed by him in your life. Is, is, is he your life? Because the mysterious plan all along has been Jesus, that I'm to be in him and he wants to be in me. Hey, if someone was going to summarize your life and then they, only, they can only use one word with the word that they would pick when the world looks at your life, would they, would they define your life by Jesus? That you're just so wrapped up in intimacy and relationship with Jesus that you just, 
you couldn't help it, but you just started thinking like Jesus and acting like Jesus and, and having his heart beat and having a heart for the things that he loves and a hatred for the things that he hates. And, and you were just getting all wrapped up in him. And, and I understand we don't become Jesus. He is Jesus. We are not. I get that. He increases. We decrease. Hey, I get that. But do you realize that I'm to be so tight with Jesus that he is to be the essence of my life, that he's to be the focus and the throb and the very essence of my being, that if someone was going to describe my life, could it be that the only explanation for how I'm living is Jesus? I've given this quote several times, but Ian Thomas, whom, whom I just absolutely love, Ian Thomas said, said it this way. He said, the Christian life can be explained only in terms of Jesus Christ. And if your life as a Christian can still be explained in terms of you, whether it be your personality, your willpower, your gift, your talent, your money, your courage, your scholarship, your dedication, your sacrifice, or your anything, then although you may have the Christian life, you're not yet living it. And then he says this, it has got to become obvious to others that the kind of life you are living is beyond all human explanation. And he says, what would it look like if the only explanation for your life was Jesus? What if the only way to describe your joy was Jesus? What if the only way to describe how you loved was Jesus? See, what, what if the only way to describe your patience was Jesus? Because he is the, the essence of the fruit of the Spirit. He is our love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and our self-control. And wouldn't it be amazing if when the world looked at your life, if they just said, I, I don't, I just don't understand how you're living that way. I don't understand how you're able to pull that off. I don't, I, I don't understand how you're able to do what you're doing. I don't understand how you can have peace in the middle of chaos. I don't understand how you could just walk in confidence when everything is just, everyone's walking in fear. How, how is it that you can have joy when, when it seems like the economy is tanking? How, how is it that you can love that person when everyone, it just, they just drive them crazy? Could it be that the only explanation for your life was Jesus? That you had died to yourself so you could live for him, live unto him, for from him, through him, to him are all things. Paul, Paul says in Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Is that true in your life? Have you, have you died to your life? Have you died to your plan? Have you, have you died to your own desires? Have you died to your own purpose? Have you, have you, have you set all that aside and said, Jesus, could, could your life be my plan? Hey, could your life be my will? Hey, could, could your life be my focus? Could your life be the essence of my life? That I'm not living my life for you could I surrender and let you live your life in and through me? That I, I, I want my life from you and through you and to you for your glory alone. That, that, that all things that I need for life and for godliness is found in you. That, that, that I get to partake of these exceedingly great and precious promises. And wow, I get to partake of your divine nature. So Lord, would you take this life and let it be consecrated Lord, for thee, 
Lord, Lord, don't let me live for myself. I have been crucified with Christ. Can I, can I ask you, is that true in you? Or are you still living for you? Is your life all about you and your comforts and your desires and your plan and your income and your whatever? Are, are, are you turning within yourself? Is that your plan for your life? And if so, could, could I maybe ask you this morning, would you be open to the Holy Spirit to bring truth, to bring conviction in your life where you say, Lord, I, I don't want to be inward focused. I, I don't want this thing to be about me. I don't, I don't want to turn within. Lord, I want to surrender. And Lord, I want to give you my life afresh. So Lord, I take every aspect of my life. Take my job, take my family, take my marriage. Hey, take, take my hobbies, take my passions, take my pursuits, take my finances. Just, Lord, take it all. And Lord, would you use it in any way that you want to? Lord, if you want to use my talent or don't use my talent, Lord, it's yours. Lord, I don't want to grab my family and keep my family secluded. Lord, I, I want to give you my family. Use my family for your purpose and plan. And if that means you, you send us off on the mission field and we pour out our lives for Jesus Christ and the gospel, then, Lord, here's, here's my life. Here's my blood. Spend it and spill it however you choose for the king and for the kingdom. Would you be willing to say that this morning? Could, could we give up the rights to ourselves and give Jesus everything? He is worthy. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we just, I don't know about anybody else, but I need you. Lord, I, I want to declare like Paul that I have been crucified with, with you and it is no longer I who live. It's not, this is not about me, that this is all about you. And it's you living in me. Well, what would it look like if the plan of my life was Jesus? That if the purpose of my life was Jesus? If the will of my life was Jesus? Well, what would it look like if <clears throat> the, that my life down at my job was all about Jesus? And, and yes, yes, I, I, I got to do my job. I get that. But Lord, what if, what if you were in the very center of even that? Lord, what if you were at the very focus, the center of my family? See, Lord, what if you were at the very center of, the mar of my marriage? Lord, what if you were the very, Lord, if you were, what, what would have happened if you were my heartbeat? What if you would invade every dream that I had? Lord, what would have happened if every moment of every single day you were the plan? Because, Lord, you've always been the plan. This has always been about you. This has always been about your purpose and your desire and your work and your redemptive restoration and this has all been about the cross. This, is, this has all been about your life. And Lord, if that's been true, and if that's been true in ages past and for ages and generations, Lord, could that be true today, lived out in totality in my life? Lord, I don't want to just attend church. I don't want to just go through the motions. Lord, I don't want to just have the language, know when to stand and when to sit down. Lord, I don't want to just give a head nod. I don't, I don't want just a refrigerator magnet Christianity. Lord, I want the real thing. And you're it. So Lord, whatever is necessary to bring about that in my life, Lord, I'm in. Lord, I surrender afresh. Lord, I want to give you everything. Lord, could the only explanation for my life be you? Because somehow you and I got so tight together that I just couldn't help myself. So 
so, Lord, this mysterious plan that Paul gets to proclaim, could it be the same mysterious plan that we get to proclaim by our life and by our lips? Lord, may the plan of my life be Jesus. Oh, Lord, we give you all the glory and the praise and the honor for you are, you are worthy. That this is all from you and through you and to you for your glory alone. Love you, Jesus. Give you all the praise. In your precious, powerful name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this study from the book of Ephesians with Nathan Johnson. If you would like additional resources to help you build your life around Jesus, I encourage you to check out my website at deeperchristian.com. This podcast is the audio version taken from my video series in Ephesians. And if you'd like to view the video version of this study, you can do so by going to deeperchristian.com forward slash Ephesians. Know I am cheering you on as you build your life around and upon Jesus Christ. See you next time.